1: Beloved listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Kadlotai Konomu and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Meron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, question for the priest, readings from spiritual books, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. σα ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ρεα Μητροπόλεως Νέα Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Exis Radio 106,1 FM, η οποία γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας Κύριος Κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθ' όλη την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας, από την οποία έχουμε όλοι μας να οφιλεθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας με την προσευχή Βασιλέφου Φουράνιε. Βασιλέ Φουράνιε, παράκλητε το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρόν και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρό των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγό kilidos, El O Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O Gracious One. Let's spend some time now talking about important church events as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes whom we commemorate either today or will do so during the week to come. Today is Judgment Sunday, and we will hear about this from Father Pavlos later in the program. I will speak about Saint Gerasimos of the Jordan, whom we will commemorate, God willing, on the 4th of March, and Saint Nikolai Vilimirovich. Bishop of Ochrid and Zecha, whom we will remember on the 5th. As we have said previously, the reason we read and speak about our saints is so that we learn from them and apply these learnings to our everyday lives, essentially to give us the courage and strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. Let's start with St. Gerasimos of the Jordan. St. Gerasimos was born in the province of Lycia in the southern part of Asia Minor. His parents were wealthy, prosperous people, and he became a merchant, frequently visiting the Egyptian hermits in his travels. From a very early age, St. Gerasimos developed a great love of God and, as he grew older, he found he had little in common with other young people of his own age, who were only interested in having fun. He realised that the world, and an attachment to it, only brought many needless cares and sufferings. So he yearned to serve God and be pleasing to him. In Egypt he grew in spiritual strength and wisdom, and then he again returned to his native province of Lycia. Later, towards the end of the reign of the Holy Emperor Theodosius the Younger, he went to Palestine where he settled in the wilderness near the Jordan River. So many men followed him there because of his reputation for virtue that he built a monastery where novices lived in a common house and the proven monks lived in a cluster of little cells. They numbered about 70 in total. The monastery was approximately 25 miles from Jerusalem and about a 100 yards from the Jordan River. Five days a week, each monk was to keep silent in a solitary cell, doing simple handiwork such as weaving mats or baskets out of palm leaves. During these five days, no cooked food was eaten. The only food eaten was a small amount of dried bread, roots and water which was brought from the monastery. On Saturdays and Sundays all the monks went to the monastery to attend Divine Liturgy and receive Holy Communion. Afterwards they ate some cooked food and drank a little wine. The work that had been completed during the week was given to the abbot. Then, on Sunday afternoon, each monk departed again for his solitary cell in the wilderness, taking only a little bread, roots, a vessel of water, and palm branches to weave baskets. Each monk had only a single old robe, a mat on which to sleep, and a small vessel for water. Whenever the monks left their cells, the doors were left open so that anyone could enter and take whatever he wished of the monks' few possessions. In this way, they prevented any attachment to material possessions. During Great Lent, St. Gerasimus ate nothing at all until the glorious day of Basca. His bodily and spiritual strength was sustained solely by receiving the Holy Mysteries. The monks of his monastery were fond of recalling how a lion came to greatly love the saint and served him obediently and with great humility. One day, as Saint Gerasimos was walking through the Jordan desert, he met a lion. The lion stretched out his paw and Saint Gerasimos saw that it was infected and very swollen. The lion gazed pleadingly and meekly at the elder, who sat down immediately to inspect the poor. He discovered that a thorn had lodged in the poor, and this was the cause of its suffering. The saint carefully removed the thorn, cleansed the wound, and then wrapped it with a cloth. From then on, the lion faithfully followed the saint like a disciple. Saint Gerasimus marvelled at the lion's intelligence, meekness and willingness to eat bread and whatever else could be found for him. The lion was given an obedience in the monastery. The monks had a donkey which carried water from the Jordan River. The lion was entrusted with the task of accompanying the donkey to the river and guarding it while it grazed on the riverbank. One day, though, the lion fell asleep in the sun, leaving the donkey to graze peacefully. An Arabian merchant, passing by with his caravan of camels, saw the donkey and, thinking it was a stray, tied it to his line of camels and took it with him. The lion awoke and began to search for the donkey, but it was nowhere to be found. The beast returned to the monastery and went immediately to St. Erasimos who, seeing his dejected expression, thought he had eaten the donkey and asked, where is the donkey? The lion stood in silence, hanging his head in shame. The elder praised the lion for not running away after his evil deed and instructed him to do the work of the donkey from then on. So the monks loaded a large barrel on the lion's back, as they had done before with the donkey, and sent him to the river to fetch water. One day a soldier came to the monastery to pray, and seeing the lion carrying the water, took pity on him and gave the monks three pieces of gold to buy another donkey. The lion once again resumed his former obedience of guarding the donkey. Sometime later, the Arabian merchant once again passed by the Jordan on his way to sell wheat in Jerusalem. The donkey was still with him. That day, the lion happened to be near the river, and as the caravan approached, he recognized the donkey. Roaring loudly, he rushed towards him, frightening the merchant and his companions, who fled in terror. The lion grasped the donkey's reins in his teeth and led it, together with a string of camels, to the saint. When he saw the saint, he roared joyously at having found the lost donkey. Saint Erasimo smiled gently and told his monks that the lion had been blamed most unfairly. The lion was given the name Jordan, and he continued to be a most faithful disciple. He was never absent from the monastery for more than five days at a time. Saint Erasimos reposed in peace in the year 475 and was buried in his monastery. The lion, however, was not in the monastery at that time. When he arrived later, he began to search for the saint. Father Savatios tried to explain why it was that the elder could not be found. Jordan, our elder has left us orphans; he has departed to the Lord." The lion was not to be comforted; he refused the food that was offered, and continued searching for his saint Gerasimos, roaring in great confusion. Father Savatius and the other monks stroked Jordan gently on the back and pleaded, "The elder has gone to the Lord; he has left us." No words or explanations could stop the sorrowful roaring of the lion. He kept searching, now in great distress. Finally, Father Savatios said, If you do not believe us, then come with us. We will show you the place where the elder rests. Jordan was led to the tomb near the church, where St. Erasimus was buried. Father Savatios explained to the lion, We have buried our elder here. Father Savatios then fell to his knees and with a heavy heart began to weep. The lion now realized what had happened. He gave one last mighty roar, struck his head on the ground, and died on the elder's grave.
2: Son yellow
1: now speak about saint nikolai vilimirovich bishop of ochrid and Zicha. bishop nikolai was born in eighteen eighty to pious peasant farmers and was the eldest of nine children as a child he often accompanied his mother on the three-mile walk to a local monastery for services and it was her teachings and saintly example as he himself later acknowledged that laid the foundation for his spiritual development. He was sickly as a baby and never developed a robust constitution, so failed the physical requirements to enter the military. With his superior intellectual abilities, however, he was accepted to the seminary of St. Sava in Belgrade even before having finished school. After graduating in 1905, he was chosen to pursue further study abroad, where he received doctorates from the University of Bern in Switzerland and Oxford in England. Returning home, he became very sick with dysentery, but vowed that if the Lord made him well, he would devote the rest of his life to the Lord's service. And so it was that later that year he was tonsured at Rakovica Monastery and also ordained to the priesthood that same day. He spent the following year studying in Russia in preparation for teaching at the seminary in Belgrade. In addition to teaching courses in philosophy, logic, history and foreign languages, he became fluent in seven languages. He produced an anthology of homilies that, whilst expressing profound thoughts, were stated very simply so they could be read by all. With the outbreak of the First World War, he was sent on a diplomatic mission to England, where he successfully pleaded the cause of the embattled Serbs. He then took his mission to America, where he enlisted the aid not only of immigrant Serbs, but also of thousands of Croats and Slovenes. This trip was also significant for him, for in a dream he received a message from an angel of the Lord who revealed to him that he would someday return to America and help organize the young Serbian Orthodox communities into an American Serbian diocese totally united with the diocese in the motherland. Returning home to Serbia in 1919 he became involved in the formation of the new Yugoslav state as the interpreter for the president. Yet, he felt that there was something missing in his life. He wanted to be involved with his suffering people more on a daily basis. The fulfilment of this union came quickly, and in 1919, the Holy Synod of the Serbian Orthodox Church selected him at the age of only 39, as the new Bishop of Zika. Because the war had caused great physical and emotional damage in Serbia, he applied himself energetically to the work of restoration. He taught religion, helped the poor, established orphanages, and led a popular spiritual revivalist movement which encouraged prayer, the reading of the Bible, and frequent confession and communion. This contributed to a revival of monasticism, and many monasteries and convents were restored and reopened, which had the effect of reinvigorating the spiritual life of the Serbian people. Later that year, Bishop Nikolai was transferred to the dioceses of Ocrid and Vitola, This was done to facilitate the union of the Serbian and Macedonian churches, which occurred as a result of the formation of the Kingdom of Yugoslavia. Bishop Nikolai's gifts were also recognised abroad, and he was invited again to America, where, in just six months, he delivered more than... 100 lectures, raised funds for his orphanages, and laid the groundwork for the organization of the Serbian Orthodox Church in America. He returned six years later in the, at the invitation of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, the American Yugoslav Society, and the Institute of Politics. After speaking and preaching for three months in various churches and universities, he returned to Serbia, stopping briefly in England, where he spoke prophetically about what he already saw as the ripening conditions for another great war. On the 6th of April 1941, German troops poured into Yugoslavia and the government soon capitulated around 750 thousand men women and children were massacred among whom were many priests monks and nuns while thousands more were sent to death camps in germany as an outspoken critic of the nazis bishop nikolai was arrested in nineteen forty one and confined in a monastery until nineteen forty four when he was sent together with patriarch gavrilo to the infamous death camp at Dachau. There he witnessed unspeakable horrors and was himself tortured before the camp was liberated by American troops in May 1945. Meanwhile, the Communist Marshal Tito was consolidating his power in Yugoslavia, crushing or intimidating his opposition and persecuting the church. As much as Bishop Nikolai wanted to return to his homeland, he knew that if he did, he would be silenced, and he decided, as did thousands of other Serb refugees, to remain abroad in order that he might more effectively continue to serve his people. So he arrived in America in 1946. In spite of health problems, which were the result of his ordeals in the camp, he resumed an active schedule traveling extensively lecturing teaching and writing he spent 3 years teaching at St. Sava's seminary in Libertyville Illinois before settling in 1951 at St. John's Monastery and Seminary in Pennsylvania by this stage he was over 70 years old but he continued to work he taught at the seminary, becoming dean and then rector. He was a guest lecturer at the Holy Trinity, Mon- Hol- sorry, at the Holy Trinity Monastery and at St. Vladimir Seminary in New York. He became the spiritual father of many, many people. Many turned to him for spiritual counsel. Priests and monks, merchants, officers, soldiers, workers and peasants, old and new, Serbs and Russians, all who had any kind of spiritual problem, whether personal or relating to the nation as a whole. Out of this came a spiritual treasury over 300 missionary letters. Although these are addressed to specific individuals and contain answers to specific questions, they are of universal and lasting value. When St. Nikolai retired at night, it was time to write and to pray prayer was his constant companion in life and it is fitting that when he died he was found in his room in an attitude of prayer saint nicolai was a great intercessor before god for his people his spirit of prayer was so powerful that it often threw him to his knees weeping he prayed everywhere in church at home on the road in prison and in the shadow of German bayonets. Prayerful and clairvoyant, filled with an evangelical love to the point of forgetting himself, Saint Nikolai was a true father and pastor to his flock. In one of his writings about the Serbian people, he pleads with God, saying, The leaders of the people are misleading them. What will you do with them, O my Lord? They are leading the people astray for their own profit. They do not teach the people truth, but feed them lies the year round. They are incapable of doing justice. So instead, they intimidate the people by scaring them with a worse injustice of times past. They pillage for themselves and their friends. What will you do with them, O Lord? They have done everything themselves. I have nothing to do but to leave them to themselves. They will see their homes in flames and will flee their own land, hungry and sickly. They will see foreigners in their land and will beg them for a piece of bread. They will hear their names being cursed and will not dare to show their faces. Bishop Nikolai left a legacy of writings and is honoured among the great writers of the Church. His four-volume Prologue of Ochrid is already considered a spiritual classic. In fact, one Serbian hierarch declared that the only two books one needs to digest and put into practice to obtain salvation are the Bible and the Prologue of Ochrid. Saint Nikolai found time not only to write and chant, but also to act, and his life was indeed full of activity. In his two dioceses, Ochred, Vetol, and Zika, everything was renewed, regenerated, and developed. As it was with the holy apostles, he both had nothing and possessed everything. Much wealth came into his hands only to pass right through them, to where there was misfortune, tears, orphans. He kept nothing for himself. Among these trials, he never became discouraged. He never wavered in his belief in the final victory of the good. At the end of his life, he was able to boldly repeat the words of the Apostle, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. No discussion about St. Nikolai is complete without mention of his humility. Even though he was a world-class scholar, An internationally recognised statesman, exceptional orator, prolific writer and gifted spiritual leader, he at the same time preserved a childlike innocence and simplicity. One of the most useful pieces of advice that Bishop Nikolai received for his own spiritual life came from an Athenite elder. In response to his question, Tell me, Father, What is your chief spiritual exercise, the elder replied, The perfect visualisation of God's presence. The bishop later related this to others, adding, Ever since I tried this visualisation of God's presence, and as little as I succeeded, it helped me enormously to prevent me from sinning in freedom and from despairing in prison. St. Nikolai reposed on the 5th of March in 1956, and Christians from all over the world gathered for his funeral at St. Savas Serbian Orthodox Cathedral in New York. He was buried at St. Savas Monastery in Libertyville, next to the monastery church. Bishop Nikolai, however, had always expressed the desire to be buried in his homeland, and 25 years later, On the 27th of April in 1991, his relics were transferred to the monastery of Hederni to a spot long reserved for him beside the grave of his blessed disciple Arhimandriti Justin Popovich who had described his teacher as the thirteenth apostle, the fifth evangelist. As St. John Maximovich relates in his tribute, written two years after Bishop Nikolai's repose, the young Vilomirovich, while growing in body, grew all the more in spirit. As a sponge soaks up water, so he absorbed learning. A biography of Bishop Nikolai Vilomirovich, published in Belgrade in 1986, is entitled Novi zlatuts or a new Chrysostom. May we all have St. Nikolai's intercessions on our behalf. On You've just joined us. Welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. I'm Carlotte Economu and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programmes at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link and then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for question for the priest and Father Meledeos, priest, monk and abbot from the Holy Archangels Monastery in Levin will answer the question, what is confession?
0: Confession is one of the holy mysteries of the Orthodox Church. It is also known as the holy mystery of repentance. It is not merely a conversation with the priest, but a sacred act in which we reveal our sins to Christ with the priest as a witness. And we promise to fight our sins by willingly receiving spiritual advice and obediently accepting whatever epitemion our spiritual father gives us. Also, we receive the forgiveness of God by the prayer of the church, read by the priest. In the Sacrament of Baptism, we are mystically yet in reality joined to Christ and to His living body, the Church, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit working in the baptismal waters. In Christ's own words, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the Kingdom of God. Unfortunately, in our everyday life, even after baptism, we continue to reject God's gift of life and His values in so many ways. As we come to terms with this fact and see how often we miss the mark. We understand that sin still has a hold over us and places a barrier between ourselves and God. If we say that we have no sin, writes Saint John, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The sacrament of confession then becomes for us the way by which we renew the salvific act of baptism in our lives and allows the healing power of God to restore the broken relationship between us and Him caused by our sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know from the Acts of the Apostles and the history of the early Church that the Holy Apostles ordained bishops and priests to take their place and to have the authority which Christ bestowed on His Apostles to proclaim God's forgiveness, on the one who was truly repented and confessed openly, as we can read in the Gospel according to John, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. There is no such thing as a private sin. Even our innermost thoughts ultimately have an impact on the way we behave and relate to others and God. It was understood by the Church from the earliest times that the only way to reconcile as once again with God and with those who we have hurt, either directly or indirectly, was to have a public confession of sin. And so, St. was right in his epistle, Confess your trespasses to one another. In this way sin is exposed and uprooted and it's not allowed to spread either within the life of the individual or the Church like a spiritual cancer silently eating away at whatever is good and healthy. When we reveal our sins, it destroys our pride and humbles us. It also gives us a great sense of cleansing and release, the freedom to make a fresh start. In the early church confession was made before the whole congregation, but over the centuries the priest remained the sole witness of the church before whom we make our confession to Christ. How we should prepare for confession? The sacrament itself is the final act in the process of self-examination and repentance before God. It cannot be done mechanically and without any spiritual preparation, for we can only be forgiven for those things which we truly seek to put behind us. Before we go to confession, we need to spend some time alone in prayer and reflection, so that we can come to terms not only with our actions, but with who we are and what we are becoming in silence we must ask God to reveal to us those things in our life which have become a barrier to our relationship with Him. If it is our first confession it is a good idea to look over our whole life so far and note down on a piece of paper those major incidents over the years for which we feel guilty or which in some way still occupy our conscience. Then we will look over our more recent life the last few months weeks and days more closely. As a guide to prompt us it is good to read the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus and our Lord's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. These passages act as a spiritual mirror in which we can see a reflection of our inner self. In this way we can make sure that actually say everything we need, intend and avoid skipping those sins which may cause us most embarrassment or shame. What happens at confession? Every priest may conduct confession slightly differently, but generally the priest wearing an epitrachelion or stole will say an introductory prayer and then invite us to sit facing an icon of Christ and make our confession. Sometimes the priest may ask questions to prompt us or to clarify a point, but generally we should approach the meeting as we would a visit to the doctor. We come to describe to the priest our sins, which are the symptoms of our spiritual disease, as honestly and as openly as we can so that he can pray to God for our forgiveness and also advise us as to how to tackle and overcome these sins in everyday life. Our confession therefore has to be clear without excuses and without discussion of the sins of others. We must trust that God knows all of our circumstances, and that He will excuse us if we need be. We have to take to Him and ask forgiveness for the inaccessible part which is the sin. At the end of our confession the priest may advise us and sometimes give us an epitemia, which is not a punishment, rather a medicine, to help eradicate sin from our life. He will then ask us to kneel while he places the epitrahelion over our head and reads the prayer of forgiveness encouraging us to be confident in God's mercy and love for us. For every Orthodox Christian, a heartfelt confession is an opportunity to cleanse our inner life and to make a new beginning in our relationship with God, an opportunity to enter once again into the life and joy of God's kingdom.
1: Today's Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31-46. to 46. The Lord said when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep at his right hand but the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Father Pavlos will now explain this gospel reading to us.
3: Αγαπητοί μου χριστιανοί ακροατές του ραδιοφωνικού προγράμματος της Ιεράς Αρχιεπισκοπής Νέας Ιηλανδίας. Κυρίες και κύριοι, dear listeners to the radio program of the Sacred Metropolis in New Zealand, it is again my pleasure and honor to speak to you as we are at the doorstep of Lent. This Sunday, which we have in front of us, is the Sunday of the, what is called the Sunday of the Last Judgment. And γιορτάζουμε την κυριακή της κρίσεως των ανθρώπων ο Θεός θα τονίσει στο τέλος uh, του αιώνος. Και αυτό είναι πολύ σπουδαίο, γιατί εμείς σαν χριστιανοί, σαν άνθρωποι του Θεού, uh, πρέπει να ξέρουμε τι θα γίνει στο τέλος. Ο Θεός δεν πρέπει να μας το πει, όμως, μπορεί να μην μας το πει, αλλά το ότι θέλει να ξέρουμε εμείς, για αυτό το λόγο μας το είπε. Uh, it's important for us human beings to know what God has planned for the end of humanity if you will and uh, we could say that uh, we have a necessity to know on the other hand god is not has no necessity to tell us uh, he doesn't have to reveal anything to us on the other hand god being kind and loving uh, has decided to share with us what will be at the last judgment and uh, it's a very interesting story whatanakoumet to evangelio xerma Όταν όταν έρθει ο ο Υιός του ανθρώπου, εν τη δόξα με με τους αγέλους αυτού. Και αυτό σημαίνει δηλαδή όταν ο Χριστός θα θα ξαναρθεί, που λέμε τη δεύτερη παρουσία. What we're speaking about, of course, is the second coming of the Lord. We call it in Greek the δεύτερη παρουσία, the second presence or second appearance, second coming. And this is important for us to know, because what it was the first coming? The first coming, of course, was when the Lord came in all humility in the manger. Now, we shouldn't assume that when the Lord comes in His glory, He is not also coming in humility. He is and will always be a humble God. So even when He comes in His glory, we should know that still, Christ will always be the humble Savior who bore the wounds of the cross for our salvation. So we shouldn't think that it's a different God who's coming. It's the same God. But now he comes in his glorified body, that is to say, having risen from the dead, having conquered death. And he comes at the end of all time, when all, everyone who's had a chance, who's been, uh, let's say, ordained by God to live on this earth has lived. And, uh, and that could be millions of people, billions of people, whereas by now it's billions of people. It could be trillions of people. We don't know, of course, when God will say that the end has come. But uh, we wait patiently, and we try to live a life until then. Και ο Χριστό όταν έρθει, λέει, θα μαζεύει του ανθρώπου, όλα τα έθνη. Αυτό σημαίνει ότι δεν θα κρίνει κρύ, κρύ, μόνο του Εβραίου που ήταν ο λαό του, θα κρίνει όλο τον κόσμο. Γιατί όλοι μα έχουμε μια ευθύνη μπροστά του Θεού, ενώπιον του Θεού. Δεν μπορούμε να πούμε ότι εγώ δεν, είμαι, δεν πιστεύω τίποτα. Ο Θεό είναι, δεν υπάρχει Θεό. Εγώ, εφόσον δεν πιστεύω, τι είναι, να με κρίνει ο Θεό. Someone could say, and they would be wrong, of course, the judgment has nothing to do with me. Since I don't believe in God, I will never be judged. Of course, that would be absurd to think that way. If there really is a God, that God is going to judge all of us, whether we believe in Him or we don't believe in Him. And that God is going to gather us all together. And He's going to separate us, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Γίδια. και έτσι θα βάλει τα καλά πρόγραφα στο δεξιό του χέρι και τα γίδια στο αριστερό. Και θα λέει στα... αυτή που είναι στο δεξιό χέρι, «Ελάτε ευλογημένο του Πατρός μου». «Κομ, ό, εσύ που είσαι ευχαρισμένος του Πατρός μου, έχω προσθέσει για εσύ ένα κύριο από τη βιβλία του κόσμου». Αυτό είναι πολύ σπουδαίο, ότι ο Θεός έχει ετοιμάσει για αυτοί που ακολουθούν τον δρόμο του Θεού από την αρχή του κόσμου. Θεό εχει ετοιμασει για αυτοι που ακολουθουν τον δρομο του Δίου απο την ωραίο και πολύ σπουδαίο. Well then Burumina fantasume It's beyond our comprehension and our knowledge to imagine what exactly God has prepared for those who love him, and uh, you know, if we're saying, "Well, what's the point of uh, holding out for something we don't even know what's what's there?" All you can say is, if you've experienced even in your life one moment of love, then you know what paradise will hold, because paradise will be a place of love unending. So if you've had even one moment in your life where you've felt truly loved, that's paradise, that's heaven. And God will give that to those who love Him in in an, in an boundless measure, immeasurably. So that as day after day goes by in, in eternity, we will feel the presence and love of God more greatly. And it's a love that is so complete and so profound because it covers every part of who we are. όταν κάποιος λέει ότι δεν υπάρχει στο παράδεισο, γιατί τόσο καιρό, για κάτι που Έτσι λένε μερικοί που μιλάνε. Αλλά αυτό που μας περιμένει είναι πολύ απλό να ξέρουμε γιατί είναι ο τόπος της αγάπης. Η αθηλία των ουρανών είναι ο τόπος της αγάπης. Και όταν κάποιος που ζει σε αυτόν τον κόσμο, που μπορεί να είναι γεμάτο από αλυσίες και δυσκολίε, αλλά άμα έχουμε νιώθει για μια στιγμή μια αγάπη αληθινή, ξέρουμε λοιπόν τι θα έχει ο Παραδεισός. Θα είναι τέλεια αγάπη χωρίς τέλο. Telia agapi perfect love without end is what heaven has for us so it is there is should be the a wonderful motivation for us to seek after that heaven so when christ is separating the sheep from the goats we have to ask ourselves do i want to be in a place where there is perfect love forever telia agapi Πρέπει να είμαι εγώ άνθρωπος της αγάπης. And really that's what this whole uh, uh, story from our Lord is about. We want to know what is the last judgment, we want to know what's coming, what's awaiting what's us. We should know that it's, Christ is going to ask us a very simple question. Did you show love on earth for those who were in need? Δεν μπορούμε να πούμε ένα ψέμα προς το Θεό τέλος, γιατί έτσι θα είναι η κρίση. Όλα θα έχουμε γυμνά. Ό,τι έχουμε κάνει θα είναι φανερό και γυμνά everything will be laid bare in those days everything that we've done and I've done many bad things myself in my life and I'm not proud of them but thank God for confession and thank God for a chance to repent but when, when we come to the last judgment all those things will be revealed whether we wanted them to be known or we don't want them to be known um, and so God will say to us a very simple question when I was, when I was hungry you gave me food, or did you give me food? That's going to be the question. When I was a stranger, did you welcome me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was sick, did you visit me? When I was in prison, did you come to me? Those are simple kinds of questions. Someone can say, well, I don't know anybody. I don't know how I could have done that for you, Lord. First of all, you send them to heaven. How can I serve you? And the one who says, I never even believed in you. How, why would I have done any of those things? Christ says that there's a judgment now, so we have to know that these are the questions that are going to be asked. Εμεί που ξέρουμε, που πιστεύουμε στο δεύτερο, πρέπει να ξέρουμε ότι έτσι ο Θεό θα μα ρωτήσει στο τέλο. Ήμουν γυμνός, μου έδωσε χρούδα, πίνασμένο, μου έδωσε φαγητό, ληψασμένο, μου έδωσε να πιω, ήμουν άρρωστο, ήρθε να με δει. Τέτοια πράγματα. Να μην νομίζουμε ότι είναι πολύ δύσκολα αυτά που θα μα ρωτήσει ο Θεό. Θα μα ρωτήσει δηλαδή σε απλά λόγια: Αγάπησε κανέναν εκτό από τον εαυτό σου. Do you love That is the real, the the truest test. Someone can say, well, I love my children. Okay, bravo, so you love your children. That can be a very beautiful and perfect love, and it can be a saving love. But we have to be careful there, too. Do I love my children because they make me look good, because they're intelligent, because they've given me a good name? Or do we love our children because of, of what they bring to the world? And that has nothing to do with us, perhaps, or maybe has something to do with us, but we try to, in humility, not to say, well, it's because of me, I gave them a good education, or I gave... My daughter great opportunities, and that's why she's so progressed, and that's why she's so knowledgeable. It's all about me, me, me. If it's all about me, how can we receive a reward at the judgment? Because we did it for ourselves. We didn't do it for our daughter. But if we did it for our daughter, we brought her to school, provided for her, we helped her to have a good home, without expecting anything in return, not even a thank you, then really we will have shown love. But it's hard to show love that way for your own family. Of course you expect a thank you. So, who do you love that cannot return that love back? That's why Christ says, i was I was sick, when you visited me. What can the sick person do for us? How can they make our life better? The person who's naked, how can how can we be blessed by the naked person? I remember being in India and visiting a, an orphanage there, a, um, a little girl who was completely naked, a little five, six year old girl, except for one little she wore on her her neck a little uh, necklace of some sort all her parents could afford, they wanted her to have some beauty, they gave her that. Well, you know, can you see that there are people in this world who have needs, great needs? They need to be clothed. They need to be fed. And you say, well, Father Paul, what about in our Auckland? Are people here in Auckland or in in Wellington? Yes, even here there are people who have needs, and we have to somehow find them and help them. And if we can't help someone who needs physical uh, clothing or physical drink, we also have to help them spiritually. And that's, of course, the great work of the Church to help people spiritually, to feed their souls, to feed their 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 hearts, to clothe them, to not be shamed before the judgment seat because of their nakedness, but to clothe them with a beautiful white garment of baptism. These are very important things we need to do, and that's why we should also support the Church, to do the work of Church. So the Church has always a twofold outreach, and that is orthopraxia and orthodoxia. And we, we shouldn't separate them. We have to care for the needy, we have to reach out to people's hurting souls and when you if you think somehow that you haven't done enough for the poor do something from now There's never too late to try and start again
1: now as we have done over most of the last few weeks we will read a little about Saint Nectarios, given that last year was the 100th anniversary of his repose, and our Metropolitan has, has asked that we try and speak a little about his life as often as we can. So, let's pick up where we left off from the book St. Nectarius of aegina The Saint of Our Century by Sotos Chondropoulos. One day, Nectarios took a boating excursion with his father and brother to the island of Metileni, north of Hios. Now that his family lived in Hios, he was able to enjoy their company on occasion. So the threesome set sail on a pleasant and calm morning. However, when they were at sea, a sudden storm arose by surprise. Nectarios was asleep at the bow when a cold wave covered him and awoke him to his surprise. As he got up, much to his dismay, he noticed that the sail of the boat had been torn to shreds, leaving the boat struggling uncontrollably against the waves. His father and brother were beside themselves with fear, so Nectarios impulsively took off the wide belt he was wearing and tied it quickly joining the torn sail and the mast, thus bringing the sailboat under control. His brother and father just stood in awe. Later that day in their home, Naktarios heard his father describing the day's events to his mother. His father, in his simple mind, drew the conclusion that their son would become a saint. Take note of what I am to tell you, my dear. Our Anastasi will one day become a saint.' upon hearing this naktarios quickly interrupted his father and scolded him stop father what are you saying please for god's sake please stop me become a saint me the greatest sinner and the most unworthy servant of god for a moment the eyes of father and son met his father a fierce family man quietly looked at Naktarios for a while, and then a loving whisper broke the silence. My son, my dear son. Chapter 9 It was while Naktarios was on the island of Hios that his dream finally came true. He took the habit of a monk at the monastery of Namoni. This occurred in the autumn of 1876, and he took the name of Lazarus. No longer was he to be Mr. Anastasios Kefalas. From the moment that he was tonsured a monk, as is the tradition on entering the Brotherhood, he knew that his responsibilities would be great. He accepted a barren cell and took vows of celibacy, poverty and complete obedience. He then willingly undertook the lifelong burden of praying for the people, the remission of their sins and final salvation he accomplished this feat but understood that in no that it in no way brought him to greater favour in the eyes of the great benefactor god taking these vows was what his heart desired and all the quiet tears unspoken sighs and prayers that he offered in favour of fallen christians brought him a great sense of fulfilment somehow he knew that he was also helping those unknown neighbours who were drowning in oceans, fighting in the trenches, rotting away in underground jails, and suffering on their deathbeds. Being a humble, tireless intercessor of salvation for his brothers was fulfilling, but it was also a battle. It was a never-ending battle with evil which wished to crush the Christian spirit of joy and hope. Although he missed his family very much, he found another family in his fellow monks as he served the Lord. It was not difficult for him to truly feel love for them, and he too was loved by everyone. He neither demanded that he be loved, nor, in his opinion, did he feel that he warranted it. Nevertheless, it made for a very pleasant existence. Unfortunately, that's all that we've got time to read today. It was a slightly shorter reading, but nevertheless, we again get a sense of the holiness of St. Nectarios' life. And God willing, we'll continue with uh, our reading next week. As we're nearing the end of our time together today, I'd like to thank you for listening to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM and hope you'll join us again next Sunday. I'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them and a special thanks today to Fathers Pavlos and Meletios. We look forward to seeing you soon and may our beloved Christos and Panagia bless and protect us all and may the upcoming period of Great Lent be one of enlightenment and repentance for us all.